The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sin. Has mercy For the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now, where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered community here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and your material support, your written and emailed responses, your decisions about forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. In or near the year 400 of the Common Era, a boy named Patrick made his way to Britain, and from Britain to Ireland. And there, through the course of his ministry, he engaged the interaction of nature and nature's God. Some 200 years later, one of his successors, a green martyr poet, wrote, for this is our sentiment in coming to confession all. Grant me, sweet Christ, the grace to find, son of the living God, a small hut in a lonesome spot to make it my abode, a little pool but very clear to stand beside the place where all men's sins are washed away by sanctifying grace. May we bow together seeking that grace as our choir sings for us, the Kyrie, let us pray.
Well, beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 7. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient along the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt just to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous, serp make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I invite you to join me in reading verses from Psalm 107 responsively with Antiphon. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some were sick through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices, and tell of deeds with songs of joy. And now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, 
that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. be seated. My grandmother's way of expressing faith took usually an interrogatory form. She asked of herself and of others, are you walking in the light? She would have enjoyed the poet with Slobas and Borca's lines who wrote, my favorite phrase is, I don't know. It is small, but it flies on mighty wings. It expands our lives to include spaces within us, as well as those outer expanses in which our tiny earth hangs suspended. Beloved, we are on a serious Lenten journey together from sensation to reflection. We want to be and become mindful, mindful of who we are, who we are meant to become, what we are doing. We want to match our eager activity with an equally vibrant awareness. We hear the words of scripture, 
So let us also come to the light and inwardly, inwardly digest them. We respect the tradition behind us, including our Lenten conversation partner, Jacques Ellul. So let us learn there the things in whose light we see light. We reason together here and now. So let us reflect on the here and now, on ourselves in this very community as we walk together in the light. And we have experience, sometimes surprising experience, of moments of light, and we shall name one here today first. The third chapter of the Gospel of John places the incarnation of the light of the world, Jesus Christ, at the heart of the Gospel. God loves the world, not just the church, not just disciples, not just the religious, not just religion. God loves the world. The Bible tells us so. The two basic historical problems of the New Testament are ancient cousins, first cousins to your own spiritual dilemmas today, the two existential battles in our salvation today. The first historical problem behind our 27 books and preeminently embedded in John is the movement away from Judaism. How did a religious movement founded by a Jew born in Judea embraced by 12 and 500 within Judaism, expanded by a Jewish Christian missionary, become within 100 years entirely Greek. The books of the New Testament record in record in excruciating detail the development of this second identity, this coming of age that came with the separation from the mother religion. The second historical problem underneath the Newer Testament is disappointment, the despair that gradually accompanied the delay Finally, the cancellation, in one sense, of Christ's return, the delay of the parousia. Jesus was an apocalyptic prophet. Paul expected to be alive to see the advent of Christ. Gradually, though, the church confessed disappointment in its greatest immediate hope, the sudden cataclysm of the end. Who led the way? John led the way. John is the most courageous of the Gospels. We hear and heed his call to walk in the light today. Let us move slightly right now from sensation to reflection, from hearing to understanding. How does it happen that we hear from John today? We hear from John today because of the lectionary. The lectionary is a shared selection of biblical readings used by most Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, mainstream churches. For each Sunday, one Old Testament lesson, one psalm, one New Testament epistle, and one gospel reading are chosen and used, as we regularly do here at Marsh Chapel. Next week, we shall reflect further on the lectionary itself. We pause here, coming to the light, on the trail from sensation to reflection, in order to be mindful of our own sensible experience, including in worship, right here, right now, in the hearing of the Holy Scripture. Second, from Scripture we move to tradition. This Lent we are in conversation at the intersection of Christ and culture and particularly of faith and technology. One voice from a generation or more ago may help us, that of Jacques Ellul. Jacques Ellul was born in 1912 in Bordeaux and spent most of his life there. He was a professor of law and history at the University of Bordeaux and a lay theologian in the French Reformed Church. During World War II, he was an active member of the French Resistance 
and later became mayor of his hometown. He authored three dozen books on law, culture, technology, theology, faith, prayer, the Bible, and history. Like Bonhoeffer and Barth, he opposed the Nazis. Like Bonhoeffer and Barth, he held firmly to a high and rugged Christology. Like Bonhoeffer and Barth, he decried the willingness of more liberal theologians in Germany and elsewhere to knuckle under, first to the Kaiser and then to the Fuhrer. Like Bonhoeffer and Barth, he saw in his own experience the dire need for a Christ against culture as well as a Christ transforming culture. Elul, though far less well known than Barth and Bonhoeffer, nonetheless well suits our annual Marsh Chapel Lenten attention to theological voices and perspectives more conservative than our own here. Elul identified Karl Marx and Karl Barth as his two greatest lifelong conversation partners and the importance inherited from both of a dialectical or spiraling hermeneutical manner of thinking and speaking. We listen too because we know, come Lent especially, that you can learn a great deal from those with whom you disagree, sometimes more from them than from your fellow travelers. When it comes to opponents, as Yogi Berra said, you can observe a lot just by watching. Elul predicted the cultural impact of emerging technology. He bears some rereading in our time. Much of what he predicted early on, 1964, an English translation, in his book, The Technological Society, has become the shared air that we breathe. Listen, as we did last week, to now a second Elul litany of sorts, this in more biographical tones, a compilation and exemplification of his thought, placed here in the form of a psalm or in an aria, and to be heard in the manner in which we hear those, he wrote. The man of the present day does not believe in his own experiences, judgment, or thought. Our age is distinguished by a lack of awareness, by enslavement of the intelligence to technical methods. In youth, I was poor and our home had no music, but I learned what unemployment is with no, no assistance, with no hope whatsoever, and no help from anywhere. I learned what it is to be sick with no governmental medical care and no money to pay the doctor or the druggist. I remember my father spending his days looking for work. Given his abilities, I felt that was an absolutely stupefying, incredible injustice that a man like him was unemployed. Dialectics includes contraries, does not exclude them. A new historical situation emerges integrating the two preceding factors with one another, both having vanished, giving birth to a radically new situation. And our goal is to live in human freedom within the freedom of God. Logically, the two cannot be reconciled, but dialectically, one can live with them both. Our own growth here at Marsh Chapel has affinities with these lines of lines and litany from Elul. Our emerging ecclesiology, understanding of the church at Marsh Chapel, blends a Tilikian rapport with culture, with a strong view of the word, sacraments, the means of grace, and the Sabbath. That is, we protect Sunday and its emblematic, exemplary, epitomizing gifts 
but within a fuller six days of grace, service, education, and fellowship, embedded in the culture at large and particularly our university culture. Our emerging pneumatology, understanding of the spirit at Marsh Chapel, blends a regard for the movement of spirit in art, music, science, theater, poetry, and all the lasting gifts of civilization with a strong and protective sense of the church, the church challenging the failures of culture, applauding the heights of culture, entering the heart of culture, enjoying the graces of culture. Our emerging pastoral theology at Marsh Chapel blends a high regard for the myriad gifts and services available near and far for those in need with a limited but irreducible affirmation of the sacramental rites and sacerdotal duties shared in the community and led by the clergy. Our emerging ethics of technology at Marsh Chapel blends a full use of all the means of production available to us. We are nearly completely paperless with the exception of the printed Sunday bulletin and the printed semester term book. Blends such with a profound recognition, more reflection than sensation, more awareness than activity, more mind than fingers, of the need to harness these tools to the benefit, not the belittlement, of the human being. Third, let us then apply our reason to ourselves here in the intersection of actual and virtual congregations, that is Marsh Chapel, we together in the nave, those listening by radio from afar. While we do not stop usually to x-ray the body of our humanity here, we are nudged to do so today. Marsh Chapel is both like and unlike other churches within the great church of Jesus Christ around the globe. In the same way that you and I are both unlike and like each other, unlike, say, in gender, race, ethnicity, age, shoe size, bank balance, or other, but like or alike, say, in mortality, fragility, longing, need, sin, salvation, service. So Marsh is both like and unlike other communities of faith. We are most similar to others come Sunday. John Wesley identified the true church as the place where the word of God is rightly preached, the sacraments are duly administered, and service is rendered to the neighbor. And our life here strives to reach his definition. So a 16-minute service of ordered worship with six, so a 60-minute service of ordered worship with 16 musical moments and 11 spoken. So means of grace in adult study before worship, in Bible study, and in fellowship after worship. We hope, we pray, that the thanksgiving, confession, affirmation, and dedication of our worship service this hour exemplify, define, epitomize, perfect, and guide our living for the next six and a half days. In addition, these gifts are extended around the globe and across New England by internet and radio. While this Lenten series of sermons, 2012, seeks to challenge us to be mindful about the intersection of faith and technology, there is hardly a place or community more actively, regularly committed to their mutual enhancement than your own Marsh Chapel. Hence, we who are so invested in the newer forms of technology day by day and week by week, 
Radio, yes, but also podcast, Facebook, texting, Twitter, and all. We have the most responsibility to see such use become as faithful to Christ as possible. We are most dis dissimilar to others during the week. Let me be specific. We need to caution ourselves against sitting on a whale and fishing for minnows. The whale that we ride is Boston University and we happily ride its torso. Take teaching, didache, a crucial matter in most congregations. We could, as we have done elsewhere, offer three Monday nights of instruction, say in November, say on a theme like Judaism, say in the modern world following a light dinner. Or we could offer a light dinner three Monday nights in November and then take you to hear Ellie Bissell on Judaism in the modern world some 100 yards away and for free. The first is fishing for minnows, the second is riding the whale. Or take service, diakonia, a crucial matter in the life of faith. We could organize a schedule of service days for our community and students and others and encourage attendance. Or, as we're just finishing doing today, we could send our students for seven days of community service through the Boston University Office of Community Service, which, by the way, grew out of Marsh Chapel during the tenure of Dean Thornburg 25 years ago. Our own minnow, the university's whale. Or take fellowship koinonia, a crucial matter in church life. We could sequester ourselves separately, Monday night men, Tuesday night women, Wednesday night children, Thursday couples. Or we can grab the whale by the ears and sail, taking all or some to a basketball game, all or some to visit the Sloan House, all or some with children to celebrate Palm Sunday. That is, we can immerse ourselves in the life of the full community, so that the boundaries between church and society, faith and culture, Christ and community are ever more blurred and fluid. The other night, 10 of us were at a university dinner. All had some connection active to peripheral with Marsh Chapel. Afterward, one creative soul led us to some further, not fully Methodist refreshment. There were people in that circle who never in a month of Sundays would have engaged fellowship with a church group on a Saturday night. But in that organic, genuine invitation, even the very least churched fellow had a true koinonia, true shared fellowship experience alongside some of the most faithful salt and light people in Boston. This is your calling. Didache, teaching, diakonia, service, koinonia, fellowship. These crucial inherited forms you are renewing week by week. It is quite distinctive. If you're not watching, if you're not reflective, you may miss it. Will this model of church growth work? We are seeing strong evidence that it can and will in worship attendance, in annual giving and tithing, in deepening relationship, in experiences of vocation, in recognition of the chapel's voice. Yet there are dangers and challenges. 
This model inevitably takes a long time, for it is covert and wrapped up with other calendars than our own. On the other hand, you do not have to come to an administrative council meeting on Wednesday for three hours, by the end of which, in exhaustion, you will vote for anything just to get home. But you do have to ride the whale. And that means seizing the moment to learn, to serve, and to love. That is, after the postlude today, if you are so moved, it's not a requirement, take a minute in or near your pew to greet someone and to speak a word and maybe learn a new name. You may learn something, you may serve some cause, you may help someone. And for someone else, that three-minute conversation may be their most personal and healing of the week. Fourth, the light of scripture, of tradition, and of reason illumines also our own experience we know it when we see it or hear it. When reflection outpaces sensation, when thoughtful mindfulness embraces action, we know in experience what it's like coming to the light. Whether in church or in culture, college athletics are a crucial part of higher education. One can learn, grow, improve on the court as well as in class. That is, an apocalypse of grace can arise outside of the church, right in the heart of the culture. Athletics and college athletics were instituted as an important part of college experience on the basis of the Roman proverb, mensana in corpore sano, sound mind, sound body. Maybe you heard Frank DeFord's story a couple of weeks ago on NPR. He said, speaking of coming to the light. The men's basketball team at Washington College of Chestertown, Maryland, journeyed to Pennsylvania to play Gettysburg College in a Division III Centennial Conference game. It was senior night, and the loudest cheers went to Corey Weissman, number three, five feet, 11 inches, a team captain, especially when he walked out onto the court as one of Gettysburg's starting five. Yes, he was a captain, but it was, you see, the first start of his college career. Corey had played a few minutes on the varsity as a freshman, never even scoring. But then after that season, although he was only 18 years old, he suffered a major stroke. He was unable, unable to walk for two weeks. His whole left side was paralyzed. He lost his memory. He had seizures. But by strenuously devoting himself to his rehabilitation, Corey slowly began to improve. He was able to return to college, and by this year, he could walk without a limp and even participated in the pregame layup drills. So for senior night against Washington, his coach, George Petrie, made the decision to start Corey. Yes, he would only play a few token seconds, but it meant a great deal to Corey and to Gettysburg. All the more touching, the Washington players, too, stood and cheered him. That was supposed to be the end of it. But with Gettysburg ahead by a large margin and less than a minute left in the game, Coach Petrie sent Corey back in. Nobody could understand, though, what happened next, why the Washington coach, Rob Nugent, 
bothered to call time out. The fans didn't know what he told his players there in the huddle, that as quickly as they could, foul number three, and one of them did. And with 17 seconds left, Corey Wiseman strode to the free throw line and he had two shots. Suddenly the crowd understood what Coach Nugent had sought to do. There was not a sound in the gym. Corey took the ball and shot. It drifted to the left, missing disastrously. The crowd stirred. The referee gave Corey the ball back. He eyed the rim. He dipped and shot. The ball left his hand and flew true, swish, all net. The crowd cried as much as it cheered. The assistant vice president for athletics at Gettysburg, David Wright, wrote to Washington College, your coach, along with his staff and student athletes, displayed a measure of compassion that I have never witnessed in over 30 years of involvement in intercollegiate athletics. Corey Weissman had made a point. Washington College had made an even larger one. Did you ever hear growing up, I might add, that proverb, that wisdom saying, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. We are on a journey this Lent. We remember the poet Wislova Simborka, whose favorite phrase was, I don't know. It's small, but it flies on mighty wings. It expands our lives to include spaces within us, as well as those outer expanses in which our tiny earth hangs suspended. We are on a Lenten journey together, from sensation to reflection. We want to be and become mindful, mindful of who we are, who we are meant to become, what we are doing. We want to match our eager activity with an equally vibrant awareness, illumined by scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Or as my grandmother would have put it, expressing faith as she usually did in an interrogatory form, asking of herself and others and of us today, are you walking in the light? Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, I invite you to come forward and kneel at the altar rail to stand or remain seated if it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together the call to prayer, Lead Me Lord, hymn 473.
Almighty God, we give thanks to you, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. We know that our salvation is not a result of the things that we do. No, it is truly a gift from you, Lord, the immeasurable riches of your grace expressed in your kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear Father. God, who is rich in mercy, forgive us for our sins. For like the Israelites in the desert, we have been impatient with you. We have been disobedient, succumbing to our sinful nature. Forgive us, Father. As a people of faith, we ask you to raise us from this death of sin and make us alive together with Christ. As we confess all our sins and pray for your pardon, we also thank you, Father, for the great love with which you love us. We know that if we ask, you will answer. And so we ask that you abide with us. Grant the peace of your presence to military personnel, diplomats, missionaries, healthcare providers, first responders, and all whose service takes them away from their loved ones. Remove their stress and worries so that they may perform their duties with clear minds. Give our elected officials the wisdom and courage to work together for the good of the country. We pray that they, along with the leaders around the world, work together to make progress towards peace. Give courage and strength to those in the valley of the shadow of death. Heal the sick. Walk with those entering the fogginess of their twilight years. Give their loved ones and caregivers the compassion and patience to provide loving care. Hear our prayers, Holy Father, for we offer them in the name of the light that has come into the world, Jesus Christ, and pray together as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
The peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. We welcome you once again to the nave of Marsh Chapel. We are so glad you are joining us in person or over the radio or internet. We at Marsh encourage the continued growth and fellowship of this beloved community. Please help us in this work by signing in person on the red pads found at the end of the pews or virtually by email, chapel at bu.edu. Three brief announcements this morning, and the first, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett will tell us about the Dean's Choice this week. Good morning. It's my pleasure to greet you again and to invite you to this week's performance of Johann Sebastian Bach's St. John Passion. There should be a flyer in your bulletin with the pertinent information about the performance, but these uh, observances of the Bach Passions are one of the most anticipated musical events in our entire year, and we hope that you'll be present Saturday night with us here, March 24th at 8 p.m. Tickets are $10, and they're free if you have a student ID, and I'm sure you can find some kind of student ID somewhere. Uh, we're all students for life, so uh, uh, we hope that you'll come and support uh, the chapel choir and the collegium as they present this really wonderful masterpiece of Johann Sebastian Bach, the St. John Passion. Thank you. Second, next Sunday at 1 p.m., Alice and Uria will host a hymn sing at their home. Email or call the chapel for more information. And third, during Lent, we are highlighting students' choice, events particularly suited to our student community. This week, we invite you to Common Ground Communion on Thursday at 12.20 p.m. outside on Marsh Plaza. Come for the seven-minute service on your way to a 12.30 class, or feel free to stop by any time before one if you need to grab and go. As always, God's table of grace is open to all, so all are welcome. For all other upcoming services and activities, we would encourage you to keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where you may also find the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us in offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious and holy Trinity, out of your good provision for us, we offer back to you these provisions for others in your gift of money. Food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, medicine for the sick, education for the poor, and freedom for the enslaved and oppressed. Bless and multiply these gifts, we pray, that your work of love and justice may continue. In the name of Christ and in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The grace of Almighty God, the love of Jesus Christ, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. 